This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently, and we get to know them in a different way. It's a crazy out-of-the-box life that came from being willing to acknowledge the desires of my heart and dare to be with the questions that were posed from that long enough to kind of live my way into some answers. You got to paint the picture of your vision. You got to reverse engineer it. You got to go back and say, all right, where in five years, 10 years, what's that perfect day? What's that perfect image look like? And if you don't know, have any idea what that looks like, then you have no chance of accomplishing. Today's guest is the one and only Chris McCluskey, who is frequently cited as the father of the Christian coaching movement. I was a guest on Chris's professional Christian coaching today and was blown away by his passion and enthusiasm. Chris is definitely a unique guest for business done differently, but his ability to niche down and create a lifestyle business and movement is fascinating. Professional Christian Coaching Institute is now the largest Christian coach training school in the world. The business he's built has allowed Chris and his family to travel the world and build an amazing business and lifestyle. Today, we're going to dive deep about going all in on family and creating the lifestyle of your dreams. Chris, welcome to Business Done Differently. Great to be here, Jesse. How cool is this to just circle right back around now I'm on your show? Full circle. Definitely full circle. Now, Chris, you got to paint me a picture here because I think a lot of our listeners don't know, what does the largest Christian coaching training school in the world even look like? Yeah, it's a completely virtual school. It really is college level or graduate level training, but there are no tests. There are no papers. There are no grades. The marketplace is our grade. What we're doing is training people who have heard about the profession of either life coaching or leadership coaching, executive or corporate coaching. They're saying, okay, I might want to maybe start a little side hustle or I might want to transition to that full time. Where do you go to actually get trained in the skills of doing that? Because it's kind of like consulting, but it's not consulting. It's kind of like mentoring, but it's not mentoring. It's kind of like counseling, but it's not counseling. There is a profession of, of, of people who make their living as professional coaches, and the International Coach Federation is the overarching body. Like if we were lawyers, you'd think of the American Bar Association or physicians with the uh, American Medical Association. The International Coach Federation has specific standards and, and guidelines, definition of code of ethics, all kinds of things for accrediting training programs and certifying coach practitioners. So we are the largest school in the world that is aligned with their standards. And that means all of our, our training counts toward their certifications. But we are also distinctly Christian. So people who have a worldview that aligns with basically Protestant or Catholic theology, we're, we're not you know denominational. But if they want that worldview integrated into their training, then we're the school for that kind of person to help them actually get trained and and build their private practice to, to launch a business from home that can make amazing. I love what you said about lifestyle. It can make an amazing income and can have an incredible lifestyle. So, so to be clear, you're coaching coaches. That's right. We're coaching people to become coaches. Yes. Okay. All the training is taught live in real time via distance. So we train in, in English-speaking people. We have trained in more than 40 countries now. We've trained well over 4,000 people to launch private coaching practices, but they're phoning into a virtual classroom on cell phones or Skype or, or a landline even, and they're just joining into a live lecture in real time, but they've done assigned readings. They've done personal exercises. They're paired up to practice the skills with others in the class throughout. So it is college-level training, 
but it's entirely virtual. You don't have to travel to be anywhere. We don't travel. My, my instructors, I've got 28 faculty members throughout the U.S. and Canada. We never see each other. Once every couple of years, we get together for a retreat. But it's all 21st century virtual training. And so it's 28 full-time that are and, and that they're full-time. So this is the one job they're doing. So this has become a pretty big business. Oh, oh, no. To clarify, no, none of the faculty are full-time. None of my staff are full-time. Okay. Talk about business done differently, Jesse. I have 56, maybe 58. I've lost track. But, but more than 50 people on my staff okay. and faculty making this whole institute work. And they are spread all throughout the U.S. and Canada. They all have their own private practices as coaches. Okay. And because I got to know them, because I trained them, I mentored them, I got to pick the cream of the crop. So this is like a gig for them. Nobody on my team is is a W-2 employee. They're all 1099 contractors just from their practices to my business. And, uh, and that's the way I want it. If I die tomorrow, I want them to still be thriving, and I want them to just be glad they had the opportunity to come here and, and they, they teach a course, or they they handle phone inquiries, or they do blogging, or they do marketing, or they play various roles, but they are their own thriving entrepreneur in their business, just on a contract here with my business. So it's all like they're all able to build side gigs into this job that does really well. So it's like building a business of their lifestyle dreams, but they're not having to spend all the time doing, they're not having to travel. And you basically set this up and now have it established for numerous people. That's exactly right. Most of the people that train with us are midlifers. They're like 35 to 65 years old. They're already established in various professions, may or may not like them, may or may not want to continue them or may have had to change them because the company shut down or the field is disappearing or their spouse has moved in their new location or they're burning out or whatever. And so they're saying, hmm, I want to reevaluate this. So a lot of times they hire a coach first Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I don't want to just be reactive here. I want to be proactive. I want to catch a clearer vision for where I could go from this point. I want my life to, to, to matter. I want to do more than just make a living. So what are my options? And then they fall in love with the field of coaching. And so they seek to establish practices for themselves. I love it. So, so yeah, that's that. So you got to tell me, I'm, I'm blown away. How did you build this? Because it sounds like such a unique type of, of job. I mean, there's tons of life coaches, tons of coaches out there, but you built this into something that really has given you the opportunity to do what you want, when you want, how you want. And I feel like that is the definition of success when you have that type of freedom. How did you build this? Because I know you've been doing it for many years now. I love that you're riffing off of the theme of lifestyle because that's exactly the the core of why I do what I do. And it's a lot of how I've done it because it wasn't very clear at the beginning. I'll tell you that. To step back in history, I was running a psychotherapy practice. That's my actual background. So I'm I'm a people helper. And as a professional running a a practice back in Tampa Bay, Clearwater, Florida was where my practice was located. I had grown that to being the largest, again, distinctly Christian counseling practice on either side of the Tampa Bay area. So we were thriving. I was going and blowing and I was loving it on the professional front. On the personal front, like you, Jesse, I had I had married the woman of my dreams. We had baby number one. Then we had baby number two. And by the time baby number three came along, I was still loving being an entrepreneur, but I was not loving the wave bye-bye at the window as daddy pulled out of the driveway to go off to work. Now, it was only 10 minutes down the road, mm. but I wasn't at home. And so lifestyle-wise, I recognized, oh, there's a disconnect here. I'm not sure that I like that I'm away Monday through Friday and Thursday nights I did groups, so I would come home later. But otherwise, you know, I'm going to keep dinner warm and I'd be there with the family for the evenings and weekends. And I thought, okay, play this out, McCluskey, over the next 40 years of your life. Mm. 
is that the vision that you want? Now, we can't always have what we want, but if we don't even ask the question of like, what is the vision that you would really love? What does your heart desire? Then we're probably dead in the water before we even begin. So I started daring to listen to the desires of my own heart. And I'll tell you what, okay, I'll, I'll walk you into a story here, okay? Love it. Listeners like stories. We're going to walk <laughs> into a story. I came home one night. It was after a uh, group therapy night. And, and I walked into the house. I was quiet as I opened my, my, the door with my key. It was probably, I don't know, nine o'clock or so. And there's a picture that is forever just burned into my brain. It was my dear wife, Rachel. <clears throat> she, she, had, she was lying asleep on her um, kind of a lazy boy rocker type chair. She had it leaned back. And our oldest daughter, Alyssa, who was six at the time, was, was kind of sprawled up over top of her and kind of trying to stay on the, the, the seat there. But she was dead asleep. And our son, Colin, who was four, was cuddled up in a little tiny ball, kind of halfway sitting on one of her legs and, and holding on to my, he was asleep. And he had a little roll of, of tissue. So it was obvious he was, you know, snotty nose. He's been, been sick, kind of a rough day. So here's mom zonked out. Alyssa sprawled over. Colin cuddled up there, dead to the world. And then baby Grace is in her arms. All right. So, so. All, all the, 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 the five people that I love most in the world are in that chair. Now, you just counted four, but Rachel was pregnant with baby number four. So, so I, got, I got a pregnant wife there with our three kids sprawled out, and I realized this has been a tough day, Dad. Mm. And you weren't here. You, 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 you missed a lot that's gone forever, and that's, that's the way life works, right? Or does it have to? What would it be like if I could do something that would allow me to be home with the family? So, I mean, to wrap the story up, I just say that that was really the genesis for us eventually closing down that therapy practice. I transitioned. I built a trial balloon of a coaching practice alongside my therapy practice. And 20 years ago then today, I mean, 20 years ago here in 2018, we moved out here at the tail end of, of 1998 to our family farm in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. And I began working full-time from home, and that's what I've done these 20 years now. The entire world has become our classroom. We've traveled the world as a family. We homeschool the kids. There's seven children now. So it's a crazy out-of-the-box life that came from being willing to acknowledge the desires of my heart and dare to be the, with the questions that were posed from that long enough to kind of live my way into some answers. Now you went all in on family. I think that's that what what the the vision that that moment walking in. You're like, I'm either going to be someone that's all about work and I'm going to miss it, or I'm going to be all about family. How did, I mean, how did is that what the same realization that came to you? It's like I got to make this decision, and how can I incorporate work into with my family, putting my family first? That's a good way to say it because I think what we normally do when we are catching the vision that's handed to us largely by our culture, which is do well in school, make good grades. Why? So you can get into a good college. Well, why do I want to go to college? So you can make good grades. Why do I want to make good grades in college? So you can get a good job. We, we, we are very much trained not to be entrepreneurs, but instead to be employees. And the vast majority of people, 91% of all Americans, work a job. There's only about 9% who dare to do something entrepreneurially. Well, just entrepreneurism by itself doesn't necessarily guarantee you a flexible lifestyle like you'd love. Sometimes it's, it's going to guarantee you serious burnout. But the willingness to listen to the lifestyle that I wanted and approach entrepreneurism and then design it using the 21st century technologies that were becoming available. Remember, this is 98, 99. This is when the Internet was new. 
Mm. I mean, Amazon only sold books. It existed, but it only sold books. Google hadn't been invented yet. This was a very different time period, and yet I realized I could capitalize on the greater connectivity of the world and the portability of something other than psychotherapy where I got fragile clients. I could do people helping in a proactive instead of reactive way, and I could do that from anywhere in the world. Mm. And that could allow me to have the lifestyle of being with my family, taking the family with me even when I go to speak at conferences and such. It's really that, again, that willingness to be with your heart's desires long enough that then you catch a clearer vision and then you, then you make the tough cuts, right? Mm. They just start doing the hard work. <laughs> I think, I think I'm, you know, I love this concept and I also struggle with it. You know, I think about, you know, family first and everyone, you know, they want to be a good dad. They want to be a good husband. But then they also love their business. And I think a lot of people, they, they, they really love their business and they want to spend the time working and also spend time with family. But it seems like, Chris, and, and I don't know, when you're coaching people, work with them, it seems like it's an extreme challenge to balance. No matter what, you're sacrificing something. In, or from your job and your position, are you not sacrificing anything the way that you set it up? No, very definitely sacrificing. And yeah, anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you trying to sell you snake oil. Because yes, it's always a challenge. We have to provide for our families and provide well. I mean, there's many ways to measure wealth, and money is probably one of the poorer ones, right? I'm, I'm wealthy in many things that people would love to have because of life experiences and connection with family and extended family and involvement in the community and all those kind of things. Travel, things that I love. But but yes, you have to make a living, and there's always going to be a tug of war in that. I mean, here I am right now. I'm talking to you on a podcast on the third floor of my home. It's a beautiful home. We built our dream home out in the out 440 acres in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. Love it here. But I'm working, right? I'm not with my kids right now. They're downstairs, and they're doing their things. And, and so, yeah, there's always going to be that tug of war. The challenge, again, though, calls us back, I think, to the key questions of, well, what is it that I most desire? Once you get that clearer, then you begin shooting for that. It becomes a plumb line. It's not that you'll ever hit it. I don't know that we ever arrive at some perfect state of balance in life. But if I don't even know for sure what I'm shooting toward, I can guarantee you I'm going to get lost. Yeah, I've got to have some kind of a north star that I'm shooting toward, and I'll at least get close. Yeah, you got to paint the picture of your vision. you got to reverse engineer it. you got to go back and say, all right, where in five years, ten years, what's that perfect day? What's that perfect image look like? And if you don't know, have any idea what that looks like, then you have no chance of accomplishing it. That's exactly right. Yeah, the things that you and Emily have done, just to to use you guys as an example, you caught a clear vision. You saw a tremendous opportunity. You made really tough cuts. You took the plunge. Here you are now. You're a dad. Mm -hmm. And you recognize, I can't see... I can't see three years down the road, let alone five, 10, 20 years down the road. I can't see what the future is going to be. What I can discern, if I'll be willing to listen long enough, is the desires of my heart. Mm -hmm. I can have those date night conversations with my dear wife and talk about, well, what would you love? How would you love for our life to go? And ooh, what would it take in order to make that happen? Mm, 100%. 100%. And it's been a wild roller coaster, as you know, and I I do want to get into your story a little bit. But I I guess what I'm fascinated, Chris, is the opportunity to niche down. You know, you are, it's now the largest Christian coach and training school in the world. So you've become the best. And it's not the largest coaching institute in the world. It's professional Christian. You've got very specific. And I think this is something that most entrepreneurs struggle with is they want to be everything to everyone. And they don't aren't able to really focus down and see what they can be the best at. How did you do that? How did you establish that? What what lessons could you give to entrepreneurs to really niche down like you did? 
Well, great question there. And you're right. That is what it's about is niching, identifying clearly who am I primarily trying to attract. All of marketing is about trying to figure out who is your ideal client, where are they going to be found, how can you get in front of them, and what message is going to attract them. If you can do those four things, identify who they are, where they're to be found, how you get in front of them, and what messages are going to attract them, you will build something. And so niching or branding yourself, being clearer about who you are and what you're about will draw only certain people. But if you're doing it well, it's going to draw a boatload of those certain people. The world's a big place. <laughs> Best way to stand out on the internet is not worry so much about search engine optimization and all the little games that you can play to draw people to you, but instead just to be really clear in your branding. Who are you and what do you do? What kind of people want to align with you? That's what you'll draw. They say in fishing, you'll catch what you use bait for, right? Mm. So it's being real clear on that. And our biggest message is not the one we're conveying with our mouth. It's your own lifestyle. It's who are you? Jesse, that is so much of what draws the team around you that you have there at the Savannah Bananas and, and the Grizzlies. They know who you are. They know what you're about. And they are too, or they catch glimpses anyway of that in themselves. And they say, I want to hang with other people who I feel like get me. Mm. That's niching. All right, I, all right, I love this. I said we might not go into games, but now I just come up with a game right now because this is fun. You said, who are you and who do you align with? All right, so let's just say I'm going to say a company, all right? Can I, uh, you're running a heating and cooling company, all right? Now, again, that's just the business, but how would you use who you are and who do you align with to specifically niche down and build that business? Ooh, boy, that's a good question. Now, it's going to take me a, a moment here to think, but I'll talk while I'm thinking. Okay, I know that a heating and air conditioning company doesn't, in the end, sell heat and air. What they sell is the benefits that we get of being in a heated or an air-conditioned setting. So I would think about the kinds of experiences that human beings want to have in a nice, warm, cozy setting or in a place that feels really cool and relaxing on a blistering hot day. That's what AC and heat actually provide is the opportunity for people to gather. So I would probably niche down to targeting let's say I wanted to go after restaurants or let's say that I wanted to go after lodges and retreat centers, or let's say that I wanted to go after um, coffee houses, or or maybe it would be churches or whatever. I would identify places where people gather, and they're looking for not that experience that we usually have when we go to resorts and hotels where we're like in a big conference room, and we're going, it's freezing in here. Where can somebody be found to turn the heat up, you know? Or conversely, man, I'm roasting. Can't somebody turn on the air conditioning? Heating and air is something that makes or breaks a lot of experiences, except when it's working well. When it's working well, we don't Think about it yeah. because it was conducive to the environment of what we were really there for. So I would think about what are the places where people go for specific experiences, and I would target those places and try to separate myself as the heating and air conditioning company to provide your ideal experience for your customers of fill in the blank. Mm. And maybe you build it into your, your family too. So if you're a family that does you know a lot of these trips and goes to resorts or goes to certain places like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I believe in because I want my family to be first again. Maybe you start identifying with you personally who you are and that's why you're trying to establish a great heating and cooling company. I'm just, again, I didn't have the answer. To, I'm just spitfiring, but I'm trying to figure out that who are you and who you align with because then it finds such great synergy in what you're doing if you can put that into your business. 
It does. As soon as you start talking to those people and they're prospecting you to see if you can do their heating and air, yeah. but they realize in talking to you, let's say that you were targeting ski resorts. Yeah. And as soon as you start talking about what their frustrations are in their ski resort and what their customers are complaining about and how it's always too hot here and too cold there or whatever, they start realizing you're a ski dude mm. and you're talking ski lingo and you know so-and-so. You are so in mm. on that contract because they sense immediately, oh, this is somebody who gets us. Mm. That's what seals the deals. I mean, heating and air conditioning, those are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. Yeah. How do you stand out? Go to the places where you already rock that world anyway on the personal level mm. and seek to align yourself with others who are trying to make their living in that world. I, I think I think it could be a great exercise just working through this. You know, you write on one side of the paper, what do you stand for? Who are you? And then on the other side, what does your business stand for and who is your business? Yes. Yes. You know what, Jesse, this is going to one of my many core passions, and that is just because of entrepreneurism. If I can make a comment here, one of the things that grieves me most, now I'm, I'm a dad watching my kids emptiness. My oldest is 27 now. She's she's married to a wonderful guy, entrepreneur, both of them making their livings full-time entrepreneurially, but they've got their first baby on the way. So I'm about to become a granddad here in, in probably three weeks. I will have my first grandchild. So I'm watching them, and I'm watching my kids that are stair-stacked behind them, starting to empty the nest, their peers, all the kids they've grown up, I'm watching what they're doing in the career world as they make their transitions. And here's what I'm seeing to, to, to my heart's grief. I'm seeing frequently that they look around. Maybe they stopped at college and they got some tech school or maybe they went on to college and got a degree or maybe they went military and now trying to f figure out how to settle down. But whatever they're doing, they're looking around to say first and foremost and sometimes only where's a job. Hmm. And they go where the job is, whether it's North Carolina or California or Timbuktu, they go where the job is because that's their highest priority or their felt highest priority at the time. And they've become, without realizing it, a career nomad. Yeah. They went to where the fields looked green, but what was the rest of your vision that you had? Are you married? Are you wanting to be married? What about when babies come along? Do you want some help with raising those kids? Do you want them to be shaped by their cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents? Or do you want to see them only at Christmases and Thanksgivings or whatever? What's the bigger vision? So what I'm saying is so many times by default, we operate on a very stunted vision for, the, for making a living, which says, well, I got to first get a job. And then I guess I'll find a way to kind of cram my life into wherever that job says I'm supposed to be in whatever hours they say I'm supposed to work and all. I'll make my job somehow accommodate my, my, my business, my job. I'm sorry. I'll make my, I'll make my life somehow fit this career move that I've made. And instead, what I'm saying is it's exactly the reverse. Get clear first on the lifestyle you want and then look around to figure out what are the myriad ways that you could make enough income, hopefully doing something you would love, that would facilitate that lifestyle. Yes, That's the more important thing. That's what's going to keep you from burning out in midlife and mm. having the crisis everybody talks about at all. <laughs> and, it's living, and it's about living your brand. You know, you think about yourself, you know, you think about actually other, let's say other consultants out there, people that are consulting and they're saying this is how you be profitable, but they don't even have a really profitable business. You know, for instance, you, if you're teaching this, this opportunity to have this great lifestyle and how to really do things and make a difference and make an impact, 
but you're doing that every day. It's truly living your brand. And it goes into this whole thing of what you stand for and who you are and how that fits into your business. And you have to walk the talk. And it's obvious that you've built this. I mean, you've homeschooled seven children. You've traveled the globe. And, and tell me, you, you got this new Victorian house or new Victorian house. That's a kind of an oxymoron there. But you got a Victorian house with your whole family scattered within a mile. I mean, you are living this. Hey, you can have this lifestyle brand and business and be successful. Well, all of that's true, and your listeners are probably going, wait, what? Because <laughs> you and I have had some conversations that our listeners aren't privy to right here. But <clears throat> but yes, I mean, we actually, let's table the Victorian house for a, a minute here because I want to go back to a foundational point that you made. When we closed down that thriving private practice in Clearwater, Florida, because of that night where everything became so clear to me and walking in and recognizing, wow, I'm missing it. This is not the full vision of what I want for family. I want to be in, in more of a rural setting with, with family surroundings. Actually, interestingly, we now live on this dirt road on this 440-acre farm. My folks live just up the dirt road like a quarter mile. We literally can walk up to mom and dad's house, which is very cool. Dad is, is got some health issues now. He's knocking on 80 years old. And so we're right there for them. And they've been there for our kids' lives. But on another section of the farm, a quarter mile away, is my sister. She moved on with her husband. And yes, there's seven children. And across the pond, eventually, my brother and his wife, they have six kids. They moved. It sounds like a compound, like we must be this incredibly enmeshed family. And maybe we are. But uh, I say... Now, that's a throwback. Think about it for a minute. That's a throwback to the way family and community and businesses, life basically, used to work about 120 years ago or so, all the way back through the 6,000 years worth of human history that we have recorded. Hmm. Vast majority of human history, people did not leave the nest and never return again and never have much to do with family except once or twice a year because they could travel thousands of miles and had telephones and internet. That wasn't the way the world worked. Mm. We've got a tremendous family support here and a strong sense of rootedness in a community that we've been part of for 20 years here. And out of that is growing then, yeah, the, the Victorian house. Now, what we did, listeners, is uh, as my kids were launching their businesses, a lot of their peers were saying, man, I wish your your dad could teach us what he's taught you about entrepreneurism. And we thought, well, heck, he could. I mean, we, we don't want to necessarily have them all come here to the house all the time. But what if we bought a building in town and started doing entrepreneurial, small business incubator kinds of meetings? And that's exactly what we've done. We own now a Civil War era church building. It's 150 years old. And it's got a big meeting area, a big sanctuary in it. It's got a coffee shop. It's got a, what's going to be a video and audio production studio in it. It's got art studios where we can do classes. And each of my kids can, can listen to their passion. And we can teach on entrepreneurism there in a physical location. But it's a campus. We've got this Victorian house on Kitty Corner to it where the kids can actually run their businesses and live. And that, that Victorian is surrounded by five tiny cottages where people can start small businesses and, and get themselves launched. So, yeah, we're huge about family, huge about lifestyle and saying, OK, there's a gazillion ways that you can make money to accommodate lifestyle. Let's start with the vision for the lifestyle. Let's blue sky what the businesses could be. And let's create a business incubator here that could help nurture that, that could help you do that next generation. That, that's what we're doing now. 
I love it. It's 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 crazy because it's 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 not happening now. But it, I understand it. Like you don't have families living that close together, and it, right, it is a throwback. But it really proves again, you know, what matters to you. And I think that's that's it's actually tremendously admirable. And I know my wife right now would love you more than anything because her entire family moved down to be around us as well, and we understand it. So, but it's very there very you rare. Oh man, <laughs> it's very. And rare. What a blessing is that to oh, be able amazing. to have grandma and grandpa and extended family. Help him with little Maverick and, 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 you know, just, yeah. Oh, it's Life is short, man. If you, if you got a pretty healthy family, they don't have to be amazing. <laughs> you probably don't want to be right next door to a really dysfunctional family, but if you got a pretty decent family, I'll tell you what, man, there's a few things in life that are richer than being able to do life, to live life near those that that we we love most in this world so. that's for sure that's for sure and I, yeah. I heard i heard this the other day it's actually fascinating so if the average person lives to 78 years old and say your parents are 65 or 70 and you only see them a couple times a year you know you might only see your parents for 30 more times you know and you look when you look at it like that 30 more days with your parents, 40 more days and uh i think that's fascinating when you look at it, like oh yeah i see my parents a couple times every year but really, that's, I mean, when you break it down like that, the people that are living apart, it's like, wow, if you knew you only have 30 more days, you know, with your dad or your mom or your, your brother or your sister. So uh, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, and I definitely uh, am looking at it differently. So thank you for Jesse, that. Jesse, that is such a uh, – I'm glad you, you nailed that, and I'm going to even expand on it a little bit yeah. here because not only do you have, let's say it's 30 days left, but we know when we visit somebody, you, you got to jump a plane or you got to you know hike across the country by, by car. You're tired, yeah. and they've tried to stop the world for the time that you're there. You're living under their space. You're trying to cram as much as you can in. Your conversations are going to be different than the conversations that you can have when you're just around each other anytime that you want to be within reason mm -hmm. and you can go deep. They're much more, they're, they're visits. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a shallower kind of conversation, I think, when we do visiting versus when you're around those that you love. It doesn't have to be family. It can be you know, extended family, friends, whatever. But but we, we definitely experience life and relationship very differently with those that we spend the most time with. Mm, right on. Yeah. So we've definitely established the importance of family. <laughs> I think we both agree <laughs> on that. And I hope people realize that. But I, I want to pivot a little bit. You know, the education platform is becoming huge these days. And yes. if, if someone were to start, because I think so many people, you know, once you become really successful in a certain field, you want to teach it because you get purpose of that, purpose on that. What would, what would you tell someone they want to start a coaching business or an education platform, what would you advise through you've learned through the last 20 years? What would be a good starting point? Yeah, I would say the same thing that I would say to anybody, no matter what kind of a small business that they were wanting to start. If, if, if you've got a passion for something, do the due diligence to analyze, well, what does it need to generate income-wise? That's important, and that's important up front. And Michael Gerber is one of my my mentors. He's a dear friend. Michael Gerber is the author of the mega bestseller, The E-Myth. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it. When you look at entrepreneurism, he says if you're considering any kind of a business model and you don't do the, the analysis to say what has it got to generate and then knowing what it needs to generate to, to support the lifestyle that you want – can it do that? He says, no matter how great and no matter how excited, no matter you know how much you want to dream it, don't pursue it. Mm -hmm. You've got to know what it needs to provide for you. <clears throat> so that said, what I what my advice to anybody is your starting point is recognize that there are many ways to measure wealth and money as one of the poorest. Mm -hmm. What is the lifestyle? 
What are the life experiences? What are the people you want to be with and do life with? What's the kind of work that you want to pour yourself into? Okay, now, how much does that have to generate? And what a lot of people find is when they stay with those more important questions, they're like, well, you know, if I made like forty dollars to $60,000 a year, I'd probably be happy. Yep. And I mean, my gosh, if it could make eighty or ninety or $100,000, i would be tickled up. Whoa, wait a minute. Stop the bus. Are you serious? Like there is no end to the ways that you can pull in five thousand bucks a month. Mm, yeah, definitely five thousand bucks a month times twelve months a year is sixty thousand dollars. So a lot of people think that entrepreneurism has to generate so vastly much more that you've got to be a special kind of a person to to attempt it. And I say first, no, 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 no. Just be clear on what you want, mm-hmm. and then. Look at all the different ways you could get there. Think gig economy like we were talking about at the beginning. Think diversified income streams. What could you cobble together? It doesn't have to one have to be one big grandiose overarching scheme. Mm. What could make that money? Could you do it? Do you love it? Then go. You know, it's easier to steer a moving vehicle. Get the thing moving and adjust, accommodate, iterate as you go along. Before you know it, probably you'll be making a couple hundred thousand, you know, a quarter million, half a million. You, you blow your mind because they always say the first hundred thousand is the hardest, right? Once you start to catch the entrepreneurial bug, then all other kinds of possibilities open up. But it's that getting started. Mm. So, so what does it what does it look like for you? Do you generate most from individual coaching, from webinars, from like what is what does your business look like? There you go. Great question. So when I moved out here 20 years ago, all I wanted was a private practice as a coach. I wasn't even thinking about training people. I had been a private practicing psychotherapist. I had a bunch of other therapists and interns working for me. And so I was making income off of them. I had the secretaries, secretarial support and, you know, brick and mortar kind of a business. I closed all that down and I realized, boy, I didn't really like all the admin responsibilities there. I like doing therapy. What if I just started a solopreneurial practice doing coaching instead of counseling, do it via telephone, this new thing called the internet. So that was what I built the trial balloon on in in Florida and then continued here when I moved. What happened was that iterating process. I told myself if the first couple years we're out there, I make forty dollars to $60,000. That's fine. We'll just get to the farm. We'll get started. We did something not unlike what you've done, Jesse, where you guys moved into that dive of a place of yours and eventually even lost that, you and Emily, the the story that you tell about your your duplex. Mm -hmm. We bought a single wide mobile home trailer. Love it. That's what we moved into. Now, hello, I was living in a four-bedroom, beautiful suburban home in Florida with an in-ground pool and a birdcage over and I traded that in order to pursue the vision of this different lifestyle. So we said, well, we got to tighten the belt. If I can make 40 to 60K off of this coaching thing, which I think I can do, we could live in a trailer for a few years, right? Sure, we could. We sold our beautiful vehicles. We bought a, a, a used minivan, which we dubbed the Ford Humiliation. <laughs> we just, we, why do we need two cars? We can, we can do it on one. You tighten the belt, you pursue the vision, and by year three, I was comfortably over a hundred thousand. That was when people came knocking, saying, "Dude, whatever you're doing, I want to do that. Do you train in it? Does anybody train in it? Is there anybody in the church training in that?" And I realized, ooh, opportunity. Hmm. So you iterate, and out of that morphed this school, which now is the vast majority of what I do. Professional Christian Coaching Institute is the bulk of what provides our income now. I do still do some coaching on the side, but very, very little, never more than four clients. I do mastermind groups. I own a publishing house now. We've got this incubator that we just launched. I've got other business ventures. 
But that's it, is, is you, you move with the light you're given and you iterate because you're pursuing a vision for life mm. that excites you. That's your inner driver. That's your core. Mm. I, I do want to get into these, these fun lightning rounds, but I'm still very curious and intrigued. The Institute, for instance, I'll give you an example. We're, we're going to a lot of people reach out to us about teaching fans first and what we do as far as our customer experience and our culture. And so we're, we're, we're close to launching fans first you and actually teaching it. But I'm wondering when you say the Institute, what does that, what does that look like? Cause you're only coaching a few individually. How is the Institute driving your revenue and your business? Yeah, the Institute is held out there as a place where people who want to transition into the field of leadership coaching or life coaching can come and get training. Like I said at the beginning, that's aligned with the International Coach Federation. So in our case, they're looking for that credibility. If you read Money or Inc. or Fast Company or Forbes or any business magazine, they're talking about coaches and hiring a life coach or a leadership coach or a team coach. They're going to say be sure that the coach has ICF certified training. Okay. So our school is aligned with that. But all the training then is just people that are already, they're working the regular job. And they take our classes once a week. They phone in. Maybe they take a couple of classes simultaneously. All of our coursework is broken out a la carte. But so like is it, is it like webinars? Excuse me. Is oh, it like, is it like uh, webinars? Well, how do you teach the course? How's the course taught? Very good. It, some of them are webinars, but no, actually, most of what we do is like you and I are doing this podcast here. It's audio only. We found in, in learning theory, human beings listen and absorb and integrate new information better when they don't have other distractions. So although a picture is worth a thousand words and there's times where a webinar is nice and helpful to have a visual, we don't do most of our teaching via just video conference where you can see everybody there in the Brady Bunch you know, windows because that's distracting. Mm. When you're listening like a blind person would listen, you're using your other senses and you're tuning in at a different level. So we do most of our training at distance via telebridge. People phone in on a telephone, punch in a passcode, they're connected to a bridge that connects everybody in a virtual classroom, but they're not seeing each other. They have assigned readings, they have assigned exercises that they've done, and we're unpacking those in that class. The class might meet for an hour, might meet for 90 minutes or two hours, but the instructors are, are unpacking the material. They're giving case examples. If we've got two instructors in the class, they'll do a role play. Hey, this week you learned about such and such a skill. Let's hear what that would sound like mm. in a coaching session. So they'll role play it. And then they'll debrief. They'll say, what'd you hear? Where would you have gone with that if you were counseling that person? Where would you have gone if you were hired as their consultant? Where did you hear the coach went instead? Ooh, how did that change the dynamic? So it's, it's integrating a lot of different approaches to learning because people can really absorb a great deal, but they need to experiment with it. They need to be able to kind of, well, we always say the real learning of anything starts when you begin doing it. Yes, so we do a peer coaching element. You want them to experience it, not just read about it or not just hear it. Mm. So it's, it's, it's pretty much just a new form of education. You can do it anywhere. It's just it's, you're going through a course and then you again and again certified at the end or you pass the course. The course is stacked. The International Coach Federation requires 125 hours worth of coach-specific wow. training. So our introductory course is 40 of those hours. Then there are other courses that are 20 hours or 10 hours or, or 30 hours or whatever. So you will stack it. For me, I took six years to become ICF certified. Wow. I knew I wanted that eventual goal. But the more important thing was I'm going to be providing for my family, you know, like immediately. So you can launch the business and grow it and generate your income. I was making a great living, better than I ever made in my therapy practice, by the way. Wow. While I was just coaching and still taking my training and moving towards certification. So we built the school to allow people to do that. It, it's a 
it's a nice gradual transition. Great. No, I love that. I think there's going to be a lot more fields going into teaching what they're doing. Educating is going to be huge moving forward. That's why we have such a, a passion for that moving forward. So I want to go into a quick marketing minute here. What has, yeah. been, what has been some of the best things you've done to market and grow your brand? Mm. When we got out here, I spent more money on airline tickets in that two-year period of 99 and 2000 than I had flown in my entire life combined up to that point. I went, because we live in a dirt road, I wasn't going to get most clientele from this area of the country. I went to every conference, retreat, workshop, invitation that I could get to speak anywhere. And of course, I always got clients and I always got students. So that was a good thing. But it's exhausting. So it was a good thing to do at the time. The internet was not what the internet is now. Social media hadn't been invented. People didn't go online to look for websites. So I had to do what I had to do. But as technology evolved, one of the more brilliant things that I believe I've done, and I am not a technologist, by the way. I, if I have a major handicap in business, it's that I, I don't seem to be able to think like a native. I watch my kids just run circles around me on computer stuff. I didn't grow up with it. Mm. I didn't grow up with it, but I saw what it could do. And so I brought in people alongside of me to say, okay, I don't understand how to do this. You know, I know we need to have a website or the search engine optimization stuff, or I want to do a newsletter, or I want to get, develop a blog or, you know, a podcast or whatever. I want to capitalize on these technologies. I want to do a good social media campaign. How do I do that? Can you help me do that? Can I contract with you to do that? So that's where a lot, again, of my staff have come in is bringing them in to help us diversify the ways that we help people find us. And again, it all comes down to then, can you find the people that, that, that are singing your song already? You know, where are they out there? What are they listening to, at reading, paying attention to, attending? How can you get in front of them? And what messages are going to attract them? When we do that, we fill the classes. And the lesson I see there is you invested money in yourself, going to all those conferences, invested money there, and now you're investing money in people to help teach best practices. And I think a lot of people don't invest the money to become the best at something. Yes, yes, absolutely. And boy, are you hearing that piece that you mentioned earlier, too, on the gig thing? See, all of the people that I'm saying are my faculty and staff. They have their own private practices as coaches, first and foremost, and that's exactly the way I want it. I don't want to be dependent on them, and I don't want them to be dependent on me, but I want us to love that we get to do life together. Mm. And they do the one thing that they're especially good at, mm, like my know. bloggers. I pulled them in because I was training them as coaches. I started reading some of their blogs and like, these guys are killing it. Hey, you want to do some blogging for us here? Yeah, absolutely. It's exposure for them. It's credibility for them. It's connection for them. And it's great attention for me on the internet that I couldn't get because I don't blog. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love it. All right. I want to go, I want to go to question time now, Chris. I think, uh, especially as a coach, the great coaches ask great questions. And I believe if you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. What are some yes. of the best questions you're asking right now? The best questions I'm asking with my wife right now had to do with what resulted in this incubator. As I said, this is all new for us. The small business incubator here in Rolla, Missouri. Little, I mean, it's not a tiny town, but 20,000 people. It's, it's about a half hour north of us. This small business incubator came from the questions that Rachel and I began sitting with on our date nights. We are faithful daters. I, I court my wife like crazy. 34 years of marriage. We still dress to the nines. Every Thursday night is our date night out at the nicest restaurant in the area. And we just talk windshield time the whole time and over dinner about where are the kids? What are they needing? What does the family need? What's next? What, what's the season that's opening up before us? And so being with those questions about what is needed, then you, you morph into, okay, what opportunities are there? 
And as we began to pursue that, we recognized the value of a small business incubator, not just for the kids, but for their peers, for this community. And then you start saying, okay, so how do you make that happen? (laughs) That's when you get online and find out, well, what commercial properties are available? Oh my gosh, look at this old church. How cool. It's right next to a Victorian house. Check out these cottages. It all, nobody sees that going forward. Like you say, they're willing to ask great questions and they stay in those questions until the answers begin to present themselves. Mm. So the best question is almost to keep asking questions. (laughs) That's right. Based on what's going on now and your best sense of what's coming next, then just uh, coaching is all about questions. Coaches, a, a, a trained professional coach, tells, advises, counsels, basically never. That's what a consultant does. That's what a mentor does. That's what an advisor does. A teacher, they all consult. They, they all advise. They all give guidance and direction. That's good. But it's all outside in. Mm-hmm. Hey, nobody else but you knows what's inside your heart. What if somebody comes to you with questions and helps you to draw that out instead? Oh, my gosh. When you hear yourself say it, you might say the same thing that they would have advised you. But it came out of your mouth, it was heard by your ears, and you stopped in your tracks. You said, whoa, I needed to hear myself say that. Mm. Because you know what it means and what it could mean for you a hundred times more than somebody else who could have tried to hand it to you. No, I love that. I love that. Great leaders of business need to ask their people questions instead of telling them what to do. I think that it just needs to be based on questions. So that's good. I want to keep moving on. I want to go into... Now that's what I call service because I am fascinated by service. You know, you had me on your show. What is some of the best customer service experiences you've had recently? Is there anything that like stands out? You said you go on lots of dates. So is anything that's really wowed you and Rachel or wowed you? Sure enough. In fact, I might even be able to pull it up here on my cell phone. I'll just use a case example from this morning. One of the things that that I love that happens with our school is that not only do we now offer these courses that are just part of our advertised slate of class offerings throughout the year, but we've trained enough people in industry who own their own businesses and they're wildly successful mega million dollar companies. And they're saying, I love this. I like this coach. I don't want to become a coach. I want to take a coach approach with my teams. I want healthier Patrick Lencioni type self-directed teams. Mm. Can we do this training as a private label for my leadership team? And our answer is, of course, you bet. Of course we can. So we're doing a private label offering right now for a company that's headquartered in California. They've got uh, branches over in parts of Asia. They have huge international reach. They're primarily a technology company. And we are training 25 of their key leaders. It's just their people in the class, nobody else. I selected two instructors to provide that teaching for them. And I got this text note just from just this morning from um, from the gentleman who owns that, that company. He says, this coaching class came together in short amount of time, and it is amazing. Hmm. So he's, he's raving back to me on text just saying, hey, why don't you know? I love what you're doing, and I love what this is going to do for us. And I guarantee you I did not see private label offerings of our training up front when I started this, you know, 16, 17 years ago, the, the, the training institute. I just figured build the training institute, you know, trying to get people to come to it. Now they're actually coming to us and saying, can you come in and do it just for our people? Mm. And they're raving. It's whole new opportunities. Mm. Do and then learn. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, final here. Let me go uh, the magic moment. What's a moment you'll never forget? Well, there are many, but uh, I'll choose one that, again, was fairly recent here. It happened in um, February of this year, February 28th to be exact. And the reason I know that is because that's the date on which we closed 
on that Victorian home and those five tiny cottages that are adjacent to that Civil War era church. So we, 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 we knew now that we had a campus for this small business incubator, and uh, all of the kids were with us, all seven kids and our son-in-law. Uh, we had gone up and, and done the closing and filled out all the paperwork, and then we went out for pizza afterwards. And while we were at this restaurant, we're in there talking about how we feel like, from our theology, we feel like God had really just gone before us and provided that vision, and then you know He delights in, like, like a doting father, like Abba father, that's a daddy father, he loves being able to bless his children. So we were just soaking in the goodness of what we were experiencing. While we're in this restaurant, three different songs come over the radio in the one hour that we're in there having our pizza. They are in this order. We were talking about that this is about more than just having emotions that say, I want this, I wish that, I dream that. It's instead the due diligence, the analysis, using the brain God gave you and using spiritual discernment and tapping other people. And, and the song from Boston, More Than a Feeling, came on the airwaves. So we're laughing about that, you know, kind of a little little side thing going on there. So we start talking about other aspects of the adventure and about how much of a spiritual stretch this was. Because, frankly, we couldn't see how we were going to make it work financially. doesn't matter the details. But in the end, what financed that Victorian and those five tiny cottages was zero dollars down on our part because we had done so much renovation already at the church. When the bank reappraised that property, it was valued so much higher that they rolled in these other properties to, the, to the, a, a new note, and we put nothing down. Mm. So spiritually for us in walking, as we would say in the Christian faith, by, by faith, not by sight. We couldn't see everything. Now, we're supposed to do the due diligence. We're supposed to look at the numbers. We're supposed to use the brain God gave us. But in the end, our belief is that there's some things that only he can do. And we get the joy of watching that happen. So on the air, this is honest to goodness, John Bon Jovi starts singing, <laughs> living on a prayer. And we just busted up laughing. Oh, it's wow. more than a feeling, but we're living on a prayer. I kid you not. We were wrapping up, and we were going around, and every kid was talking about what they were most excited about with these new properties. And you can well imagine that the biggest thing that the younger ones especially are excited about is these little cottages. They're little 400-square-foot cottages. They were built during World War One, when it's just two blocks from the, the railroad depot. Soldiers would be coming home on furlough from the war at the military base close to us, and they could meet family there and stay. This is pre-hotel era, basically. Yeah. So there's these tiny cottages, tiny houses. And they're talking about how excited they are about being able to maybe live in those themselves someday. And John Cougar Mellencamp sings out, little pink houses for you and me, for you and me. We just died. And it was, it was one of those moments that I really feel like the veil between the spiritual world and this physical world was very, very thin. No, that's amazing. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing. And it's just something else. I mean, just you were truly integrating business and family all together. And, you know, you never forget those songs in that moment. So thank you for sharing. It's usually I hear like when my baby, when my first baby was born or when I got married, but that brought everything in together, Chris, and, and I appreciate it. So it's a, <laughs> it's a great segue into our final four to finish out today. What have you done to stand out in business and in life? Mm, I have a mantra that I gauge myself by. It is my life purpose statement. It is simply this. I am the water my family drinks every day. It's drawn from a coaching exercise where I wrote a poem about using the elements, earth, wind, fire, or water, and just select one of them and think about the qualities of those elements and apply them to yourself. How does that element illustrate certain aspects of your being, your personhood? And so I use that gauge at night when I lie down. I do less gauging what did I do, what did I accomplish, and more about who was I. Yeah. 
Mm. It's an ontological question to use a big $5 word. It's our being because our doing should flow from our being. So I check myself on that being. I was the water my family drank today. Was it good water? Mm. Did it it refresh them? Did it strengthen them? Did it nourish them? Did it have a sweet taste to it? Did it have a bitter taste? Did I leave them parched? Was there not much of it? Ooh, was there a little bit of a poison element in it? You know, I was still the water. <laughs> I can do sins of commission or I can do sins of omission, but I was still the water they drank. What kind of water was it? And then that plumb line for me is, is just a huge life gauge. Mm. And it's a great theme on today's, today's talk. I mean, about who you are, you know, who you are, what do you stand for? I absolutely love it. I'm going to stretch you now, though, Chris. I'm going to ask you to give additional advice you were given to someone to stand out in business and in life. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So typically we think about pursuing anything big in life, about getting clear about your vision, great big vision of where you want to be. Okay. Then get a clear mission statement tied to that. What do you need to be doing? Mission or missions, plural, specific actions. And then you break those missions down into to individual goals and you calendar everything, right? Okay. So we've got vision to mission to goals. That is all very, very good. And there is a central element missing. So here's my advice to anybody else. Don't miss the central piece of your purpose, mm. your calling. That's different than the vision. That's the big result you want. That's different than your mission. Those are the various actions you're going to do. Your purpose or your sense of calling, why are you here? What are you about? That is your purpose statement. And all of that other being, the vision and the mission and the goals, that's going to flow from your purpose. So get clear on why are you here? Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Final two now. Best advice you've ever received. Well, some of the best advice I've ever received was from Michael Gerber. Since I mentioned him earlier, yeah. I'll pull him back. Uh, he has a saying that's often cited in his books that says, in the end, if a business fails, it, uh, it, it and it was a viable business. There was really a market for it, and, and somebody could have done that business. Maybe other businesses are, but yours didn't. He said, ultimately, it won't be because it wasn't a viable business. It will have failed because your systems failed. The business didn't really fail. Your systems failed. You didn't systematize the delivery of your service or product well enough. Or if you did develop a system, you didn't work the system. Mm-hmm. Our systems in, in the final analysis are the things that will keep our businesses from driving us absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. Now, the system needs to fit your personality, your temperament, your your field. So it's not, a, it's not like a, you're going to run a military camp or something, but Everything that we do in business benefits by being systematized and suffers to the degree that it's not systematized. Predictable, basically. Because otherwise, if it's not predictable, you got to be brilliant every day. <laughs> That's for sure. That's great advice. And finally, Chris, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a man who knew why he was here. And he lived fully into that purpose. That says it all. <laughs> well, it's vague. It's purposely vague. I mean, that's the kind of thing that could be on a, on a tombstone. But we're not going to read all their purpose statements and vision and mission and <laughs> values and all that kind of stuff on a, on a tombstone, right? But, but what am I going to be remembered for? Most of what I do is probably going to be lost, except that it will be lived out in the lives of others. But was I clear on why I was here? And did I live that out, making the most of the, the, the days and the resources and all that were available to me? If so, then I have lived a good life. I, I've had a rich life. Mm-hmm. Well, you are. And like I said before, you are truly living your brand. And I can't thank you enough for the wisdom you shared with us today. And I know our listeners are going to want to know more. Where, where can they find out more about you and what you're doing and what you're coaching? 
Um, easy to find on the internet. Everything circles around that institute. So professionalchristiancoaching.com is the website. And you mentioned our podcast since you were on there. The website has its own uh, website, or, or the pod, let me turn that again. The podcast has its own website, and that is at professionalchristiancoachingtoday.com. So professionalchristiancoachingtoday.com or just the school professionalchristiancoaching.com. Excellent. Well, I'll be in the show notes. And Chris, thanks again for everything. All right. Great to be here, Jesse. Thanks for the time. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently. Our goal is simple, to inspire you to think different, have fun, and stand out in business and in life. For more ways you can stand out in your business, visit findyouryellowtux.com and you can get the Yellow Tux Handbook for free with the six steps to stand out directly from the Find Your Yellow Tux book. Finally, a big shout out to Podcast Pilot for producing the show and making all the magic happen. For questions, ideas, and feedback, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot a note to jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out. Thank you.